Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through 42. And somebody's heart just palpitated that uh, the scripture passage is that long. It'll be all right, I promise. Uh, Acts 5, 17 through 42. This is one unit of scripture. Uh, it could be broken down, but it's, it's pretty much telling one long story, and we're going to go through it that way uh, as we work through the story. The church and the community, uh, we're continuing that theme. We've got a few more sermons on that uh, through Acts chapter 7, as a matter of fact. We'll, uh, uh, through Acts chapter 7, we'll get us to the end of that theme of, of first church, or this section of first church, uh, the church and the community. Waves of persecution this morning. Now, I know a lot of y'all have all assumed... I'm a surfer. Um, I think it's obvious. I just have that look about me of a, of a surfer. Um, actually, no, I found all this information out on the internet and movies that I've watched over the years. How many of you know what a duck dive is? And maybe you're thinking, well, it's what a duck does when it eats on the bottom of the pond. And then you would be correct. But in surfing, a duck dive is how you get to the good waves. You're out there on your surfboard. And there's a picture that explains to you how to do it. You're out there on your surfboard, and you've got to get past those shoreline breakers to get out to the good waves. And to go over them is a lot of work and incredibly difficult. If you've ever just been, you know, down to Galveston or somewhere, and, and you just played in the water, you know what it's like to fight a breaker that's hitting you in the chest. It's not easy. So surfers do what's called a duck dive in order to get past those breakers. And there's a photograph of it happening. Those, there were some really cool uh, pictures online of it happening from underneath. And it's, it's very efficient. It gets the job done. It gets you where you need to be. But it's a way to handle these very powerful waves that can not just knock you down, but hurt you badly if they knock you down into the uh, sand, uh, depending on where you're surfing, there may be coral, there are a lot of dangers that come with getting through those waves, and here this duck dive is how you get through those waves. Well, this morning we're going to look at three waves of persecution that happened to the first church, and we're going to look at the church's duck dives into those waves of persecution. The, we need to handle persecution the same way a surfer handles their waves, handles these waves they have to get past, these very dangerous waves. We duck our head, we uh, steal for the impact, and we push through. And that's exactly what the early church did here in Jerusalem. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 42, we're not going to Read the whole thing first. We're going to read it as we move through it this morning. Now, this passage follows on the heels of what we talked about two weeks ago. Uh, last week we did the Lord's Supper. What we talked about two weeks ago, the triumph of God. And if we think back through chapter 5 and chapter 4, the, the triumph of God followed judgment on the church, on a couple of members in particular, Ananias and Sapphira. That, that judgment that came, that, that hard uh, issue in the church came after triumph. And, and that triumph that came right before the judgment followed an intense time of prayer, prayer for boldness, we read and learned about. 
that, that prayer for boldness came after persecution. And we begin to see a pattern, right? Great things happen, persecution comes. Prayer. Judgment on the church. Issues in the church. Prayer. Triumph. Persecution comes back. And here we are at persecution. Next week, we're going to look at issues in the church. Then the next week, we'll look at, you guessed it, persecution. But strength in that persecution as we look at the life of Stephen. So we see this pattern, and this is going to be the pattern for a while in Acts. This is the pattern of the Christian life. This is the pattern of the church. And we need to learn not to try to get away from it, not to try to avoid surfing, but to learn how to get through those waves of persecution as they come. And the early church gives us that example. Acts 17 through 18, we're going to look at first. Then the high priest rose up. Well, let's just have a reminder of what the then here means. Back verses 12 through 16, the triumph of God that we talked about. Uh, they've been told not to preach. Uh, they, they did anyway after Ananias and Sapphira uh, experienced their judgment. The apostles go back out. All the apostles go out now into Solomon's colonnade. They preach, and people uh, come to Jesus. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sad Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Three waves of persecution we're going to see this morning. Here is wave one. Wave one is arrest. The Bible tells us that the high priest and all the Sadducees were jealous of what the apostles were experiencing. They didn't agree with their theology. We know that about the, the Sadducees uh, anyway. And there was an issue over power. And the fact that the Sadducees felt they were going to lose the power because of these new preachers. So, jealousy, theology, and power. Jealousy, the people liked the apostles. It, it tells us that uh, in the passage before, verses 12 through 17, a, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem. They brought the sick. Uh, the, verse 13 the people spoke well of them, and the folks in power did not like that people liked the apostles. Didn't like that they liked the message. Didn't like the, the way the, the message was presented. And so, the folks in power were jealous. Uh, only God can be jealous. Let's just put that out there. Jealousy is only an attribute that is holy when it's God being jealous of, of his worship, being jealous of who gets his glory. The rest of us, when we're jealous, it is always a sin. And this jealousy carries with it an overtone of, of violence, hatred in this jealousy. This isn't just, you know, schoolyard jealousy, as we're going to see as we move through the passage. This was deep jealousy that led, it was sin that led to more sin that led to more sin, and that is almost always how it works. There was a, a disagreement over theology. The, the Sadducees didn't like their preaching. They're, they're preaching a resurrected Jesus, and the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees, Sadducees didn't believe in, a, in miracles at all, which is going to be awkward for them here in just a few verses. Um, so there was a, a discussion over 
what was being preached. They didn't like that the folks liked the preachers, didn't like what the, the preachers were preaching, and then power. The Sadducees were threatened by the power. Uh, they were primarily threatened because they had a good arrangement with Rome. We won't be too religious if you won't be too mean. And that was their arrangement. They got rich off of this arrangement. We will temper our religion if you will uh, you know, let us get away with some things. And that's the way the Sadducees worked it. They were the power. We hear about a lot about the Pharisees. We hear about the Pharisees in the Gospels. The Pharisees weren't the powerful religious leaders. They were the, uh, the vocal ones, but they weren't the power. The Sadducees were the ones with the power because that's who Rome had given the power to. And now it began to look like these apostles, these, these new preachers, this, this new thing that they were teaching, it was beginning to gain power. People were going to their side, and the Sadducees didn't want their apple cart messed up. And the apostles were certainly into overturning apple carts. So the Sad, Sadducees uh, call, they, they get up, they... They're filled with jealousy. So verse 18 tells us they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. It's interesting that the Bible tells us public jail. They made a, a, a show of arresting the apostles. They wanted everybody there to see what was happening to the apostles. We want them to know how bad we think they are. It was an intentional attempt to stifle the influence of the apostles. They met in the back room, they talked about it for a while, then they figured out a way to make a public spectacle of them and try to get people to quit following the apostles. This is evidence, our theme, right, for this section of Acts has been church in the community. The Sadducees understood how much influence the church was beginning to have in the community. And so Satan wanted to stop that, and he used the Sadducees to do it. So everything he could do to stop their influence in the community, Satan would do, up to and including, and even beyond, using the Sadducees to do it. And the Sadducees had, had already, or the leaders in general, they, they had already tried two different ways to stop this. We go back to the Gospels, and we see that the leaders took out the leader of the, quote, insurrection. They took out Jesus, they thought. They killed him. Great, it's going to go away, right? We're done with this mess. Well, pesky Jesus rose from the grave, and the pesky disciples kept telling people about it, and the pesky people kept believing it. So that didn't work out. So we go back to chapter 4, taking the, the main leader out didn't work. So then they go after Peter and John, who are preaching in the Solomon's Colonnade. They arrest them, two primary leaders of the movement. They arrest them, and they tell them, you better not preach in the name of Jesus anymore, or it's going to be bad for you. And they threaten them and send them on the way, their way. And what do the Peter and John do? Well, those pesky apostles go, and they continue to preach. The message of Jesus. So now the Bible tells us that all the apostles were here in Solomon's colonnade preaching. So the leaders think we've got them now. We're going to take out all the leaders, all 12 maybe uh, that uh, we, we know about. Maybe there were some others. Although generally uh, when, the, the, when Acts speaks of apostles, they are talking about the original 12 disciples, Matthias having taken Judas's place. That's the plan. 
to end this church in the community, end this influence? Well, wave one may not have worked out the way they planned. Acts five nineteen through 25, read that with me. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life, this Christian life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Duck dive number one. When the wave of persecution came, there was a miraculous release from jail, release from the persecution, and there was obedience. If we read the, the story for that passage from beginning to end, uh, we find that there were some very conscientious angels that made sure they locked the door behind them when they left. It doesn't say how they got out. It says they opened the doors, but then when they went the next morning, when they sent the, the, the guard to get them, the doors were locked, the guards were standing there. It's a miracle! We're going to see those Sadducees never mention that part because they don't like miracles, right? Uh, no such thing as miracles, according to the Sadducees. So they, so they kind of uh, just ignore that. Now, I'm sure somebody got in trouble along the way for it. But it tell, this passage tells us that every Jewish leader was there. Everybody who was somebody in Israel, in Jerusalem at the time, was there. They were going to examine these apostles, these 12, and they were going to put an end to this. This was a mighty movement of God that had to be stifled because it was changing things. And that's bad always, right? The answer is no to that question, by the way. Every Jewish leader was there. The Sanhedrin, uh, there would have been Pharisees, uh, as we see with Gamaliel, being there as well here in a few verses. But look, that's the miraculous release. But look at the orders that they were given when the angels showed up. Uh, back in verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Go tell the people, God's people, Israel, and what did they do? They were obedient. They went to the temple, and they began to tell the people, God's people, Israel, about Jesus, about how he was crucified, how he rose from the grave three days later. They entered the temple teaching the people. One more time, this is the church in the community. The focus was right there, their neighbors, their friends, their family, the folks around them, the homes around them. That was their first, wasn't their only, but that was their first concern was the folks around them that they knew and they loved. That was God's command to them. And it never ceased to be God's command. We're going to get into uh, the, uh, the, the, 
the diaspora, when, when uh, the, the Christians were scattered and they go to Antioch and other places and the churches start outside of Jerusalem, but Peter and others are going to stay, Peter and James primarily are going to stay in Jerusalem and that church is going to grow and going to thrive. They're still going to reach their community as they reach the world. So their duck dive number one is this miraculous release. Sometimes God does miraculous things to overcome persecution in the Christian's life. But regardless of whether miraculous happens, whether, regardless of whether God does something amazing to stop persecution, we must still be obedient. Obedience is always the appropriate duck dive into the waves of persecution. When we are being attacked for our faith, what should we do? Be obedient to the faith that we follow. Be obedient to God's word. So, wave one, arrest, duck dive one, miraculous intervention of God, and obedience to his word. Acts 5, 26-28, Then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in and they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Wave of persecution number two, rearrest and implied threats. And here in this passage, we get the idea that no longer is it just finger wagging. It's, uh, it's, it's daddy with his belt in his hand, right? The paddle behind, you know, slapping his leg. You know real punishment is coming if things don't uh, go the way that they are being told. They're rearrested, and, and this, this good reputation of the, of the apostles that we see back in verse 13 and in 17 and, and following, this good reputation had the leaders worried because they said specifically, go and get them and do it without force. Don't cause a scene. Interesting. At this point, now they, they put them in the public jail overnight. They wanted a, a, a scene, so to speak, earlier, but now they maybe, maybe we need to do this quietly so we don't arouse the people because they had a good reputation. And the apostles, the Bible says, took up stones and sticks and swords and fought back. Wait. No, my bad. They just went. They just went peacefully. They submitted to the authority that came and got them. Now, they, we see they didn't submit to the rule, the rule that you can't preach in Jesus' name, but they did submit to the punishment or the possibility of punishment when the re-arrest came. That's a lesson for us. There are times when we will be persecuted, and there will be times when we will have some sort of recourse against that persecution. But there will also be times, and I believe it will be more times this way than when we have recourse, when we are to submit to the persecution, submit to the punishment. Civil disobedience is a wonderful thing for the faith. But when we are civilly disobedient, as the apostles were here, in order to continue to preach the message that they knew they had to preach, 
when the punishment came for that civil disobedience, they took the punishment. And as we will see, they went back out and were civilly disobedient again. So this good reputation had them worried. The apostles uh, peacefully submitted. They were worried because uh, of the good reputation. And the message was ruining the leaders' reputations. Uh, the, 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 the question that they asked, look, we, we, well, they asked the question, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in his name? You filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Well, y'all, this is guilt talking. You, you never want the... It's always... Well, there, there's, a, there's a phrase, and I've used this before, I think, up here, uh, but I generally always have to explain it because apparently it's just a Mississippi phrase. Uh, I certainly didn't encounter it in Texas. Uh, the, the, the phrase was a hit dog hollers. Um, and, and the idea is if, if there's a pack of dogs and you throw a rock into that pack, the one you hit is going to be the one that hollers. Well, as the apostles preached this message, it was the dogs that they hit, or they hit, that were hollering. When they preached about the people killing Jesus, about the leadership killing Jesus, suddenly the leadership says, they're saying we killed him. They're, they're making us guilty. Well, they knew they were, and they didn't like the message. They feared that the people would know who they truly were, that they were not this holy just this holy leadership, and the Sadducees weren't that holy. The Pharisees were to the extreme. The Sadducees were not. They were more concerned about their political power and their wealth and how they got along with Rome. They were fearful that the people would know, hey, we care more about our political clout than we do about the faith that we say we follow. The faith that prophesied the Messiah, the, the faith that said Jesus would, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and all of these different things that they knew. They were afraid of that, and they didn't like their reputation being ruined. So they rearrest them. And, and really their message here to the apostles is, you didn't obey us in our disobedience. You, we were, we, we were being wrong, we were wrong in crucifying this innocent man. We all knew he was innocent. Pilate knew he was innocent. Herod knew he was innocent. Everybody he knew he was innocent. But we had to get rid of him because of our power and the power struggle. And you didn't obey us as we were disobedient. You didn't follow our footsteps in evil. And then... The Sadducees unwittingly confessed to the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel message, when they said, look, you have filled Jerusalem with your, your teaching. The, the phrasing here is, 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 is the idea of a, a cup that's overflowing, that you just keep pouring into, and it's, it's just overflowing. And that's what the Sadducees are saying about the apostles. You have filled Jerusalem to overflowing with this message. Folks, that is the church in the community. What if sulfur was overflowing with the message of the gospel that First Baptist Church shared so that people would speak negatively of us, though we would wear it as a badge of honor? At First Baptist Church, sulfur, they have just filled sulfur to overflowing with that message of Jesus. Thanks. What if? So wave number two, re-arrest and... 
and threats. And Peter and Paul, the, uh, verse 29, Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors, our, he's telling the Sadducees and the leaders, our ancestors, raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Duck dive number two into a wave of persecution, God's word. We must obey God rather than people. Implied in that is God said. You're going to persecute me? Fine. God said. You're going to put me in jail? Fine. God said. You're going to do all these things to me? Great. God said. That is the answer. That was, it's how we overcome temptation. It's how Jesus overcame temptation it, during his temptation. If we go back to Matthew chapter mm, 3 or 4 along in there, uh, it's, it's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. And God is gracious. In every temptation, he provides a way out. The way out is always his word. The, the, the response to temptation is always to say, but God said. God said, truth. They say, you're making us look bad. You're making us guilty of this man's blood. And what, does, uh, what do they respond? Peter, probably. Well, you murdered him. You're, you're complaining about what we're saying, but it's the truth. And the truth is always a good answer to persecution. You actually did those things. He goes on to say, what you saw as a curse, God used to bless. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. I mean, that was a defiling way to kill somebody. And they knew that. That's why crucifixion was rarely used. It was, the Romans loved it but it was rarely used in Israel. Because of the curse that goes with it. And Peter tells them, you use this as a curse, but God did this as a blessing. He exalted Jesus. He raised him from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father as ruler in charge. By the way, Sadducees, y'all aren't the leaders. Y'all aren't the rulers. Jesus is. As ruler and as savior, he will save us. He can save us, and he can give repentance to, he says here, Israel. He's talking to the Sadducees. Even though you had him murdered, you can still experience repentance and forgiveness. He says, God, the God of our ancestors, he's telling them, Guys, your Bible says it too. The scripture that you teach, the scripture that you follow, it says these things. And then, so, duck dive number two is God said truth. Oh, but it's also obedience, right? We will do what God says. We'll do what he says. doesn't matter. What you do to me, we will do what he says. Um, I'll say it again. Obedience is always the appropriate duck dive into the waves of persecution. 
Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to the men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After they called in the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and released them. Wave number three, death and or beatings. See, the leaders, and I put leaders in quotation marks because Peter establishes here that they're not the leaders, Jesus is. The leader's response to God's word, to truth, to obedience is fury. They are incensed. Literally, that word means they were split in half with anger. How dare you come at me with God's word and truth? How dare you defy my power? Now, we, we see a glimmer of hope here, right? Right here in the middle. Uh, we see Gamaliel's response. His response was measured, but sadly it was ignorant. Let's talk about who Gamaliel is for just a second. He is Paul's teacher. But not only is he Paul's teacher, he is the grandson of Hillel. Hillel is somebody we don't meet in the Bible. But he was the one who set up, primarily, who set up how the Pharisees thought. He was kind of the leader. He, he was considered probably one of the greatest uh, Jewish teachers, certainly of his time, and is still respected today. He set up the way they worshipped then. Gamaliel was his grandson. We think, and I'm, I, I go with this uh, theory as well, there's some very good evidence for it. The guy Simeon in uh, Luke that held the baby Jesus and rejoiced to see him in his day, and saw the salvation of Israel, we think Simeon was Hillel's son and Gamaliel's dad. There's good evidence for that. It would uh, be interesting if we could prove that. It, it, it creates a lot of questions, also gives us a lot of answers. But that's who Gamaliel was, an honored, uh, respected uh, leader in, in, uh, in Judaism at the time, and when he died, there, the, the, the honors that went to him because of how much he did were incredible. And he makes this incredibly measured response. Trust that God will take care of this. Trust that God will take care of it. God is big enough to handle this. He's handled things in the past. He's handled them uh, in another time. God will take care of this. But he was also ignorant because he had been around for all of this. He, he had seen Jesus. He had heard of the miracles. He knows what's being preached, this resurrection. He knows the body's not there. He's hearing what they're saying. 
He's seen the miracles. He was probably there when they questioned the lame man that Peter and John healed in Solomon's colonnade. He knows all these things, and yet he won't just come out and say it. So it's very measured. It's very ignorant, though, that he... And I, I mean ignorance, not... We, it's, it, sadly, we've misused that word. Uh, it's just he's not acknowledging what he knows. It's that, that kind of ignorance. Y'all, here's a lesson for us. If what's going on around us is of God, you better not be against it. And if it's not a God, you really don't have to do much to be against it. He's going to take care of it. It's a lesson I think we all could learn. So the, the leaders hear him. They understand, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Uh, okay, we won't kill him. But we'll give them the 40 lashes minus one, the 39 lashes. Uh, depending on how they did it, what they used, it could have just been leather that began to rip their skin open. The leather could have been what they used on Jesus. They had the bits in the, of bone and, and stone in it that would have grabbed and pulled flesh off the body. Probably not that one uh, because they walked out of there. It was probably just the one with leather. Still bad enough. None of y'all want it. And they're given a second order with this reminder in the middle here not to preach Jesus. Do not teach in that name. Beat them and don't treat preaching Jesus' name anymore. Wave number three. Verse 41. They're, they're giving up now, right? Surely, apostles, you're done. <laughs> Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name, the name of Jesus. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Duck dive number three in the wave of persecution, joy and obedience. They go out of there cheering, we got to suffer like Jesus did. And they still haven't suffered as much, but they, we, we, we got counted worthy. We are enough like Jesus that they're doing to us what they did to Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Hmm. Sure, guys, I guess. But no, there was no question. This wasn't dementia. This wasn't blood loss. This was true joy because they're experiencing the very things Jesus said they were experiencing. His, his words were coming true in their lives. It, he, he told us the truth. He was right. We can take everything he said to the bank. This, this joy was an external expression of an internal realization. I think it was supernatural joy. Sure, as, as believers, we can find joy even in the worst of circumstances if we look for it and if we are faithful to follow Jesus. But I don't think this was them looking for it necessarily. I think this was welling up. Can you believe this? That we got to suffer like Jesus did. He has counted us worthy to follow almost directly in his footsteps. Can you imagine if they crucified us? Some of them kind of maybe got there, probably not a wish. If church traditions are correct, and we don't know if they are or not, Matthew suffered martyrdom by the sword. So did Mark 
in Alexandria after he was dragged through the streets of the city. Uh, Luke was hanged on a large olive tree in Greece. John, uh, tradition tells us, he was put into a a cauldron of boiling oil, and then he was put out to pasture on Patmos and lived his last days there. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. We know this one for a fact. James the Less was thrown from a high pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death when he landed. Philip uh, was hanged. Bartholomew was scourged. Some people say he was skinned alive and beaten until he died. Andrew was crucified on a cross, an X-shaped cross, But he preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a lance. Jude was killed by arrows. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas uh, was stoned and then beheaded. Paul was beheaded in Rome. All of those were traditions. And then we have Stephen, no tradition, but the Bible tells us clearly he was stoned right there in Jerusalem two chapters later in Acts. They counted it joy to suffer as their Messiah did. They were treated shamefully and they went out rejoicing because they knew in this case now they bore marks on their back that were meant to scare the people. Public display of defection, public display of discipline, and they said, look, you want to know how much I believe my message? You want to know how much I believe Jesus loves you and died for you and he rose again on the third day? Here's how much I believe it. That's the church in the community. That every wave of persecution, they would take a duck dive and say, it's not stopping the message because joy and obedience. They went back to evangelizing every day. Sometimes in houses, but in the temple, every day, boldly and in front of everybody. This is the first time, by the way, the word evangelize. We, uh, depending on your translation, it says continued teaching and proclaiming the good news. That word is evangelism. First time it is used to share the gospel story. That word is used to share the gospel story in Acts. You may have heard this somewhere before. Obedience is always the appropriate duck dive into the waves of persecution. So my question is, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to really follow him? Persecution's coming. Wave after wave after wave from the world, from, quote, leaders, from the government, from the church. You will be persecuted if you're going to follow Jesus. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when. Will we experience the levels of persecution that they did? Maybe someday, but we sure aren't right now. But some people in the world are. And this morning they count it joy that they have to worship in somebody's basement with the windows covered, they get to. And then, later on today, they get to go out and quietly tell other people about Jesus, knowing that if the authorities hear it, they're dead. And they count it joy. Persecution is coming, but we've got to learn to duck-dive the persecution 
and diving the persecution does not mean we'll always get through it. We don't always get the miracle. Sometimes we get the lance and the arrows and the beheading and the cross, the skinning alive. Doesn't mean the persecution stops, but what it means is that we are faithful. We duck dive that persecution with obedience. We duck dive that persecution with God's word. We duck dive that persecution with joy that we get to suffer like Jesus did. And we duck dive that persecution, let me say it one more time, with obedience. When the world comes against us, we are obedient. That's what has to happen to follow Jesus. So do you want to follow Jesus? Like really follow Jesus? Believer, if you've said, I want to follow Jesus, sure, I said I'd follow Jesus years ago. Persecution's coming, and this is how you handle it. But maybe you want to follow Jesus for the first time. You need to dive into his grace. If the world's not persecuting you for your faith, are you living your faith? Or are you just doing enough that some people say you look like a Christian, but the world can't tell there's a difference between you and anybody else? If you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then today's your opportunity to do that, to truly follow Jesus, to truly dive into his grace and experience not the waves of persecution, but this morning the waves of grace. God is holy and just, and he will judge sin. He has given us no indication that he won't. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. He will punish sin, and he will punish it fully and completely because he is sinless. He will not allow it to persist. And when he punishes sin, that means we get punished with it because we are willfully sinful and fallen. Our destiny is hell. That is what we are born to, sadly, because of our sinful nature and then because of our sinfulness. And that is what we're headed to without the blood of Jesus. But Jesus fixed that problem. Jesus, the perfect Son of God who, who lived on earth, who, who lived the perfect life, who said, come and follow me. He said, lay down your life and follow and take up your, your cross and follow me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If any man uh, follows me, he's a new creature. I am the one who can save you, the perfect Son of God. And he did that by dying on that cross that they meant as a curse, but God meant as a blessing. And on that cross, he took my sin and he took my place. My sins are forgiven, my punishment is received, and I no longer have to suffer the punishment for sin. And then three days later, after he died for everyone, he rose from the grave to prove that he had that power. And then I had to make a choice, and you have to make a choice. Will you repent of your sin, turn from your old life, place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, trusting in him, and living for him? It is an acknowledgement in your head and your, in your heart, of yes, that's who I believe Jesus is. Believer, will you follow Jesus? Persecution's coming. Unbeliever, will you follow Jesus? Today is your day to make that choice to follow him. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you have provided 
duck dives into these waves of persecution. Lord, you may see fit to, to sneak into the jail, unlock the doors, let us out, lock them up again. Nobody knows we're gone. You may see fit to allow the scars of persecution to be borne on our backs and our heads and our faces and our lives so that we can be an example, a proof text of your faithfulness and of the truth of our message. Lord, you may allow death through persecution in order that our lives may be a, a, a testimony, a living testimony even through our death of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and of our commitment to truly giving our lives to you. Whatever you choose to do in our lives, Lord, may we be found obedient in the face of every persecution. May we have joy in that persecution. And may we always come up on the other side of the wave saying, God said. Lord, give us that strength. And this morning, there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that they would hear the message of the gospel, forgiveness of their sins, full payment, the opportunity for salvation through their faith and respond in faith this morning. Make that decision to follow Jesus and to give their lives to you. Lord, you work on hearts today as we wait on you to move in this place knowing that you have a great plan for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how should you respond this morning? A life of obedience begins with accepting Christ. I can talk to you about that if, if you have questions. I can do it now. I can pray with you. Uh, Jordan will be over here in the corner, uh, and he can talk to you. Maybe, maybe you want to catch one of us afterwards, and that's fine too. Maybe you've trusted Christ and you want to be baptized. You need to follow in obedience. Maybe, believer, you need to live a life of holiness. Recommit your life. Return. God, give me the strength to duck dive these waves of persecution that I'm experiencing. Maybe God's calling you to missions, to ministry, calling you to do more than you're doing now, and you want to come to these prayer rails and get before the cross and give those things to him. Maybe you need to join our church, and you want to come forward and say, hey, publicly, I want to, I want to be a part of what's going on here, part of what y'all are doing. These are all decisions that you have to make. Nobody can make them for you. But as we stand and we sing, you pray, you do what God's calling you, you listen to him as we all do business with God this morning.